see everybody. Appreciate those that are here this morning, those that are joining us uh, by way of our live broadcast. We appreciate you being with us uh, today. And we'll go to the Lord in prayer now and ask again, as we do each week, for his guidance and his leadership over this service and over our lives and that uh, what they played this morning would be a reality in our life, that through a surrendered personal relationship to Jesus Christ, we'll have a closer walk with God uh, every day. So let's go to the Lord in prayer now and ask for his guidance and leadership over this service and over our lives. Father, we give you thanks for this day. Uh, we're never promised another day, but you've given us this one. We're grateful for it. God, we're rejoicing in it. Father, uh, the Bible says, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. And God, help us to never uh, forget that there are brothers and sisters in Christ living around the world uh, under oppression against the name of Christ who would give anything to be able to get up out of bed, uh, to gather their family together, and to go to a local place where they could freely and openly study your word and sing praises to your name. And God, forgive us when we take that freedom and that privilege for granted. For God, we might not always have it here in America, but we have it today, and for that we're thankful. God, I pray that we'll make the most of the opportunities that we have here today. For the one who's never been saved, who's never turned from sin and trusted Christ, oh God, we pray that your Holy Spirit would convict them of their sin, Christ's righteousness, their need for it, and judgment that's going to come against their soul unless they turn and trust Christ. We pray for the disciple, God, today who is walking rightly with you. That God, even in that, Lord, they'll be tender and they'll do inventory. They'll allow the Holy Spirit to search their heart and to see if there's any wicked thing within their life. Being mindful, the Bible says, let him that stand take heed lest he should fall. Father, we pray for those that are backslid today, those that do know you but who aren't walking in a right relationship. God, we pray that this would be the day that they would repent. And God, they would experience renewal and revival that only the precious Holy Spirit can send and bring as we recommit and resubmit our life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Father, pray as we sing this morning. Father, we'll just uplift and magnify the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. God, in these dark, dark days, what a privilege and what an encouragement is to, to know and to say, uh, God, that you love us. God, you demonstrated that love. While we were yet sinners, you sent Christ to die for us. And I pray this morning, God, that your precious love would encourage us and would stir us. And God, and even right now as we begin to sing, we'll just magnify the name of Christ and the love that you've shown toward us. It's in Jesus' precious and his holy and loving name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. God. Let's all stand. Aren't you thankful that Jesus loves us? Alas, and did my Savior bleed, and did my sovereign die? Would he devote that sacred head for such a Oh! 
From this dull, empty life I'm set free For when I met Jesus He made me complete He forgot the foolish man I used to be I'm free from the fear of tomorrow I'm free from the guilt of the past I've traded my shackles for a glorious song I'm free For a glorious song I'm free, praise the Lord Free at last Yes, I've traded my shackles For a glorious song I'm free, praise the Lord Thank you for that, and Scotty and Peggy and Suzanne. Thank you for leading us this morning in those great songs about the love of Jesus. Please take your Bibles this morning. Now listen, I'm going to ask you to do something this morning I don't uh, always do. I've probably only done it three or four times since I've been here. I'm going to ask you to turn to two passages of Scripture this morning. So first off, I want you to find 2 Kings chapter 22 this morning. 2 Kings chapter 22. And when you found it, put the ribbon in your Bible there or a piece of paper. And we'll get to it at some point. But 2 Kings chapter 22. And then I'm going to ask you to find our focal passage of Scripture, the Old Testament book of Zephaniah. As we continue our study through the Minor Prophets, Zephaniah chapter 1. If you found that or even close to it, say amen. All right, this morning I want to speak to you on this subject, straight and to the point. Straight and to the point. Zephaniah chapter 1, we'll begin to read in verse number 1. I'll invite you to stand this morning, all those that can and are able in honor and in reverence for the reading of God's Word. We're in the Old Testament book of Zephaniah chapter 1, begin to read in verse number 1. The Bible says these words, The Word of the Lord which came to Zephaniah, the son of Cushai, the son of Gedaliah, the son of Amariah, the son of Hezekiah, in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah. I will utterly consume everything. From the face of the land, says the Lord, I will consume man and beast. I will consume the birds of the heavens, the fish of the sea, and the stumbling blocks along with the wicked. And I will cut off man from the face of the land, says the Lord. I will stretch out my hand against Judah 
and against all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, I will cut off every trace of Baal from this place. The names of the idolatrous priests with the pagan priests, those who worship the host of heaven on their housetops, those who worship and swear oaths by the Lord, but also, but who also swear by Milcom. I will, they have turned back from following the Lord. They have not sought the Lord nor inquired of him. Let's pray together. Father, we ask now that your spirit would speak to our hearts today. And Father, that you would reveal your will for each individual life. Again, God, as we prayed when we first began this service, God, we ask that if there's one here or one who is listening who's never been saved, there's never been a moment where they've turned and surrendered their life to Christ's lordship, that God, this would be the day of salvation for them. God, I pray that in what are challenging days, and according to your word, which only become more challenging for those who seek to honor you with their life and with their lips, God, I pray that you will encourage us today. And Father, as you speak to us and you draw us deeper into your will as we come to a time of invitation, that which you're inviting us to do by faith, we'll submit ourselves to today. Have your way in every heart and every life. It's in Christ's name we ask these things. Amen. And I'll invite you uh, to be seated. I want you to imagine that uh, this morning after we uh, prayed, uh, rather than uh, Peggy beginning an up-tempo beat uh, with uh, one of my favorite hymns, uh, He Loves Me, imagine Brother Scott, he stepped out uh, and said, I want to ask you to turn to him 309. Just imagine we were in the sanctuary. We had uh, hymnals there in front of us. And as we turned to 309, Scott, he said, I want us to all stand and sing uh, first, second, fifth, and sixth verses of Day of Wrath, O Day of Mourning. And it's an actual hymn that was very popular uh, in the 12th century church. It was one that was sung regularly. Uh, it would have been just as uh, regular as what a friend we have in Jesus uh, or Amazing Grace or He Loves Me. Listen to the words of this hymn that was very popular and prominently sung. Verse 1 says, Day of wrath, O day of mourning, see fulfilled the prophet's warning. Heaven and earth and ashes burning, wondrous sound the trumpet flingeth, through earth sepulchres it ringeth. All before the throne it bringeth, O oh, what fear man's bosom rendeth, when from heaven the judge descendeth, on whose sentence all dependeth. Verse 2, death is struck and nature quaking, all creation is awaking, to its judge an answer making, lo, the book exactly worded, wherein all hath been recorded, thence shall judgment be awarded, when the judge his seat attaineth, and each hidden deed arraigneth, nothing avenged, nothing remaineth. Verse 3, what shall I, frail man, be pleading? Who for me be interceding, when the just are mercy needing? King of majesty, tremendous, who does free salvation send us? Fount of pity, then befriend us. Righteous judge for sin's pollution, grant thy gift of absolution ere the day of retribution. The early church uh, taught regularly about the biblical truths of God's 
judgment against sin. But not only did they teach about it, they even sang about it. You, you, would, not, you would never hear that in the modern day church. But yet the Bible teaches the biblical truth that God hates sin and God will judge sin. God called Zephaniah, again, the minor prophets are not minor in importance, but they're only minor because of their brevity as far as where we list them in the canon of Scripture. But Zephaniah was an important prophet, and he was faithful. He was called by God to deliver a very stern and a very solemn message. It was one of warning, but listen, it was also one of challenge and encouragement. It's a message today, that, again, that we're calling straight and to the point. So I want you to notice these three things that Zephaniah shows us from his text today. Number one, I want you to notice a dreadful reckoning. A dreadful reckoning. Look what the Bible says in Zephaniah chapter 1 and verse number 4. And I'm going to be reading very quickly. God says, I'll stretch out my hand against Judah, against the inhabitants of Jerusalem. I will cut off every trace of Baal from this place. The names of the idolatrous priests with the pagan priests, those who worship the host of heaven on the housetops, those who worship and swear oaths by the Lord, who also swear by Milcom or Molech, uh, that is, passing their children through the fire, those who have turned back from following the Lord and have not sought the Lord nor inquired of him. Remember, the two major sins, again, of the northern kingdom when they were judged in 722 B.C. by Assyria and the southern kingdom as they did not turn during that revival time and through the ministry of Isaiah, and then now the impending judgment in 586 B.C. was perversion of the worship of the one true God and the oppression of the poor. They failed to love the Lord thy God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, and they failed to love their neighbor as their self. And God is telling them and, and, and revealing to them again their sin. Verse 7, Be silent in the presence of the Lord God, for the day of the Lord is at hand. The day of the Lord is the day of judgment. You, you've passed God's deadline. You had an opportunity to repent. You had an opportunity to turn, but now you've passed that. And God continues on through verse number 13 to say all the things that you worked for, all the things that you thought were important, all the idols that you held on to to build your wealth. Verse 13, therefore their goods shall become booty. They'll be worthless. They'll be something for the enemy. Their houses are desolation. They shall build houses, but they'll not inhabit them. They'll plant vineyards, but they'll not drink their wine. All that you've lived for, it's not going to do you any good because you didn't commit your life to me. They failed to live up to the covenant stipulations that God had redeemed them and called them out of Egypt to be the separated people unto him. And so God begins to re reveal through, Ze through Zephaniah uh, this dreadful reckoning, but first off, the reasons for it. Why it was that they were going to experience his judgment through Babylon upon them. Well, verse number 17 of chapter 1 says, I will bring distress upon men, and they shall walk like blind men because they've sinned against the Lord. That is to say, they're not even going to know what direction to turn. They're not going to know how to live. Why? Because they've sinned against me. I gave them my word. I gave them my mission, and they failed to live up to that. They failed to do what I've called them to do. Because of that, their blood shall be poured out like dust and their flesh like refuse. Well, what were the sins that they had committed? Well, first off, there was the sin of idolatry. Look again at verse number 4 of chapter 1, where God says, I'll stretch out my hand against Judah and against the inhabitants of Jerusalem. I will cut off every trace of Baal from this place. It was, it was idolatry. Rather than loving God with all their heart, soul, their mind, and their strength, they had adopted the pagan worship 
of their, their neighbors. Why? Because they could control that God. They could access those gods when they wanted. They could live the way they wanted to, but when they were in need, then they could dust off those gods and they could turn to him. Friend, I want to remind you, you can't contain God. And if you have a Christian relationship, quote, unquote, where you know you love God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength, when you need him, then you don't have the New Testament definition of discipleship. But that's what they had. And remember, an idol's not just a gold figurine, a cow, or a fat man with a big belly like you see at the, the Chinese restaurant when you're checking out. That's not, an, an idol can be anything that you love more than the Lord Jesus Christ. And it can be things that are good in their right place. It can be your family. It can be a recreation. It can be a hobby. It can, it can be uh, anything. But whatever you give more time and more attention to than you do devotion to the Lord, it's an idol. And that had become a major sin in the life of the nation of Israel. But the second sin was that of apostasy. Look at verse number 6. Those who have turned back from following the Lord. No longer were they following God's Word. No longer were they responding to the message that the prophets were sending. Remember that the Bible that we have in our laps, they didn't have the Word that they had. God spoke through men to them, and then as it was recorded, God moved holy men like leaders. He, he inspired, he breathed his word into them, and it came out through their hands. But they first spoke it. And so as they heard that word, they rejected that word, and they turned back from following the Lord, so they were guilty of the sin of apostasy. Verse number 12 of chapter 1, they were guilty of the sin of complacency. Look what the Bible says, it shall come to pass at that time, I will search Jerusalem with lamps, and I will punish the men who are settled in complacency. Just, just whatever. You know, they were just, just riding along in life. They were like the modern church in America today. They were, just, they were just existing. Rather than thriving and being the great commission vehicle that God called the church to be. It was just, just absolute complacency. They, they were faithful. Remember, God had called Israel to be a kingdom of priests to be a separated people who were to share his word, and then ultimately, in the fullness of time, it was through Israel that Jesus Christ would come. And they were complacent about that, just absorbed in the day-in, day-out effects of life, and they become complacent. And then the, the fourth sin was that of obstinacy, just stubbornness, hard, thick-headed, stiff-necked, would not respond to what God was trying to do in their life. Look at chapter 3. Verse number 2, where the Bible says, verse 1 says, Woe to her who is rebellious and polluted and the, to the oppressing city. Verse 2 of chapter 3. For she has not obeyed his voice. She has not received correction. She has not trusted in the Lord. She has not drawn near to God. Why did God send prophets? I mean, why would God call Zephaniah, who many believe was the great-grandson of King Hezekiah, why would God call him to share a message? Because he was long-suffering and he loved the people. And my friend, God would far rather bless than he would judge. And God has done everything short of violating man's free will to see that they have a right relationship with him. And so he sent prophets to tell them what the sin was, the road to recovery, how to repent, but they wouldn't listen to it. They just stiffened their neck. They were stubborn about what God was trying to tell them to do. Verse number 7 of chapter 3, God says, I said, surely you'll fear me. There was no fear whatsoever. Surely you'll receive my instruction. 
so that her dwelling would not be cut off, but despite everything for which I punished her, they rose up early and they corrupted all their deeds. They just sinned even more. The, the more we see it early on in the book of Amos. God says, I began to increase in intensity of chastisement. It's just like the people just, they leaned even more forward into it. There was, there was no way they were going to, just, just stubborn, obstinate. Those were the reasons for this dreadful reckoning. But then he begins to reveal the release of this dread, dreadful reckoning. When God would judge sin. Well, he first revealed again in chapter 2, what we saw a couple weeks ago in the book of Nahum, that God was going to judge Nineveh. They had had an opportunity. Through the half-hearted ministry of Jonah, they still had the opportunity for revival and to, to be a right nation before God. But 150 years later, there's a whole generation. They didn't know who God was. And so because of that, verse number 13 of chapter 2, God says, He will stretch out His hand against the north and destroy Assyria and make Nineveh a desolation. In 612 B.C., it came to pass. God absolutely destroyed Assyria through the nation of Babylon. And then in uh, verses 4 through verse 12 of chapter 2, God reveals that He would destroy all the wicked nations who were around Judah through Babylon. But the real focus of the message again is verses 4 through 13. What God would, through Zephaniah's message, what God would do to Judah in 586 B.C. But Zephaniah preaches about the ultimate day of the Lord. This was a day of the Lord when God would specifically judge Judah. He would judge the wicked nations, Ammon, Moab, Nineveh, Ethiopia. He would judge them on certain days. But Zephaniah begins to speak about the ultimate day of the Lord. When is that? It is the time after God raptures his church and whatever that period of time after that is, we really don't know. But at some point, there will begin seven years of great tribulation where God will begin to pour out his wrath against sin on this world, but he'll deal with the nation of Israel. And at the completion, the Bible says, of those seven years, friend, there will come the ultimate day of wrath. It's the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's when God will deal with sin. Listen to what the Bible says in verse number 8 of chapter 3. He says, Therefore, wait for me, says the Lord, until I rise up for plunder. My determination is to gather the nations to my assembly of nations, to pour on them my indignation, all my fierce anger. All the earth shall be devoured with fire of my jealousy. Verses 14 through 18 of chapter 1. It's, it's the, the, uh, the Bible says, The great day of the Lord is near. It is near and it hastens quickly. The noise of the day of the Lord is bitter. There, there the mighty men shall cry out. The day is a day of wrath, a day of trouble and distress, a day of devastation and desolation, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of trumpet and alarm against the fortified cities and against the high towers. God says, I will bring distress upon men and they shall walk like blind men because they have sinned against the Lord. This is that time, friend, when after Antichrist is ruled on this earth for seven years, there's been a one-world government and a one-world religion, and all the armies of the world are gathered together in the valley of Jezreel to destroy Israel. The Bible says Jesus Christ is coming back as King of kings and Lord of lords. 
His church is coming with him. And at that moment, with his word alone, the Bible says in the book of Ezekiel, he will destroy utterly, Gog and Magog, all the armies that are represented in the world. He's going to judge sin. There's going to be a great day of, of, of dreadful reckoning against sin. Revelation 19, Ezekiel 38, Ezekiel 39. The Bible details in verses 1 through 20 of Ezekiel 39 what, what that's going to look like in that day. But listen to the, the purpose of it. In Ezekiel 38 in verse number 23, God says this, On that day, the day when I judge all the sin that's in this world, the Bible says, Thus will I magnify myself and sanctify myself, and I will be known in the eyes of many nations. Then they shall know that I am the Lord. Friend, God judges sin. I know in this cotton candy theology day that we're living in the contemporary church, all people want to talk about is the love of God, and I'm so thankful for the love of God. But my friend, you really can't talk about the love of God really without talking about the, the judgment of God against sin because God demonstrated his love for us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died so we won't have to experience that dreadful reckoning against sin. It's only through Christ that we can experience that. So sadly, though, listen, the same sins that defined Judah then, idolatry, apostasy, complacency, stubbornness, that defines the local church today. Those are the sins that are so prominent in the church in which we're living. Revelation chapter 3. Remember, the book of Revelation is laid out chronologically. Chapter 1 is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Then chapters 2 and 3 are letters to seven distinct churches, which represent seven distinct ages in church history. Revelation chapter 4, verse 1 is the rapture. John says, I heard a voice say, come up hither. And he went up hither, and we're going with him. But prior to that, the last letter that was written to the last church in verses 14 through 22, it's the lukewarm, apathetic, indifferent, bless-me-if-you're-lucky church of the day in which we're living. Where people could care less about the things God... Friend, I want to tell you one of the things that marks our country. You see, now, there's no fear of God. An absolute vacuum... For the fear of God, the thought in people's minds that they'll ever stand and give an account to God for the sin that's in their life and how they live their life, it has escaped the country and it's escaped the church. Rarely do you hear about the judgment of God upon the church. Those sins define the church today. My friend, if God judges sin in the lives of the lost, how much more will he judge in the life of the saved? If God's going to pour His wrath out upon those who have sinned and who don't possess the Holy Spirit, how much more will He hold us accountable who've had the Word of God and the Holy Spirit, 1 Corinthians 2.14, to interpret and enlighten and illuminate the Word of God that we might obey it? He'll hold us accountable. 1 Peter chapter 4, in verse number 17, the Bible says this, For it is, it is come for judgment to begin... At the house of God, and if it begins with us first, then it will. God begins to deal with the church and with the righteous before he ever begins to deal with the evil nations that are around us and the evil people. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 9 through 11, a doctrine that is rarely taught anymore in discipleship. The Apostle Paul, to a church that was plagued with problems and plagued with issues, 
The Apostle Paul said this, Therefore we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. That is, to, to let our lives count. As we, as we saw in our study in 1 Samuel on Wednesday, like David, to live, to behave wisely. To live in such a way that our speech and our life are pleasing to the Lord. Why? Verse 10. One reason is because for we must all be, appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive the things done in the body. The Apostle Paul continued in Romans chapter 14 in verse number 10. He said these same words, For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, we're not talking about the great white throne where lost people are going to stand who have never trusted Christ. We're talking about the Bema, the judgment seat of Christ, where every believer who's ever been saved will stand alone before Jesus Christ and give an account for what you've done with the life that he gave you through his grace and his mercy. And I want to remind you again, Galatians chapter 6 says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. What you sow, you will reap. The Bible teaches the law of reciprocity. What you do with your life, how you sow... Friend, listen, those seeds are going to grow. And just like years ago, my mamma would make sure every grandkid had a pan of beans or a pan of tomatoes, a pan of... Potatoes, something to take to the county fair and be judged. And most of us didn't do anything to help them grow, but we got to put our name on it. But they judged the fruit. A judge would come through and he would begin to look and he would order all of those things. Do you remember when there was still a county fair and they did those, those things? And they would give the, the blue ribbon and then the red ribbon and then the white ribbon. Friend, listen. Everything that you've sown, listen, it's going to grow up and it's going to be at the judgment seat of Christ. And sadly, the Bible says, some will be saved so as by fire. What you've done will not stand the test. But what you've done in Jesus' name and for his glory, friend, it will stand the test. I want you to know, friend, it's not going to be a pleasant time. Everybody thinks, you know, that I'm just going to be dancing my way into heaven. Well, thank God, by his grace, we'll make it. But the Bible says there'll be a time when, we're going to stand, when you're going to stand before Jesus Christ and you're going to give an account for what you've done or you've not done. Whether you ever discovered your spiritual gift and you used it. Whether you had the attitude that the church exists for me and I pay, I pay my, my, my club fees every month and so I come to church and you need to entertain me. If that's been your attitude, you'll answer for it. You'll answer to whether you ever served. You'll answer to whether you lived on mission and you sought to reach your neighbor for Christ. You sought to reach your family member that didn't know Jesus. Whether you stood up against the sin that was around you within your family or you just kind of winked at it and put your head down. You're going to give an account. We're all going to stand, the Bible says, and we're going to give an account. There'll be a judgment for how that we live. And I want to remind you, friend, that the words of Jesus Christ in Luke chapter 12 and verse number 48, Jesus says, To whom much is given, from him shall much be required. My friend, God gave you when you got saved the opportunity for a brand new beginning in him, and because of that, much will be required of you at the judgment seat of Christ. I want you to look up here at me, because I don't want blood on my hands. I want you to listen to me. You're going to look Jesus Christ in thy face if you've been saved. And you're going to give an account for the service inside this church and outside this church. You're going to answer for whether you got up and read your Bible every morning and whether you prayed, whether you seized it. You're going to give an account for every part of your spiritual life. 
And so you better be ready to do it because for some, sadly, it will be a day of dreadful reckoning. Number two, Zephaniah also shares not only a dreadful reckoning, but a dedicated remnant, a dedicated remnant. He says there's going to be a time of judgment. The nation of Judah as a whole, the southern kingdom, they had sinned against God's grace and against God's goodness and against his word and what he had called them to do. But there was a dedicated remnant of people who were serving the Lord. One of my favorite prophets is Elijah. He just, I mean, he just, it's the way it was. And he, now Elisha, he was a little more tender. He kind of, he, he, was, he was strong and he was true to the word. But Elijah, Elijah he, just, he just laid it out there. Remember 1 Kings 18 that uh, Jezebel had turned the nation uh, against the Lord and the prophets of Baal had increased. And God through Elijah said, it's time for a showdown. He called all the, the prophets and all the people uh, to Mount Carmel. He says, we're going to have a duel between the prophets of Baal and the God of Baal and between the one true living God. And you remember what happened. They built two altars, and he says, whoever God's answers by fire, that'll be the one that we serve. And so the prophets of Baal, they built a big altar, and they cried, and they pleaded, and they cut themselves and just made fools of themselves, and absolutely nothing happened. But then Elijah, he humbled himself before God, gave God all the glory, and he prepared the altar, even made a way to where God would get the full glory. There couldn't be the little hoax crowd, you know, all the, all the flat earth people that think there's always a little hidden trench. He dug, he dug a trench around it, made the, made the altar wet to where it filled up in the pool. And he just simply humbled himself down, began to pray and say, God, would you show up and would you just show out and would you get all the glory? And at that moment, the fire fell, consumed the altar, the ground, the water, everything that was in it. And God got the glory. The people repented. They said, this is the one we're going to serve. And Elijah went. Very strategically caught all the prophets of Baal, killed every one of them. But old Jezebel got after him. Now, I've said many times, friend, you can deal with a mean guy in church, but when you get a mean woman after you, God help you. <laughs> Only the Lord can deal with her. And so she, she got after Elijah, and Elijah listened to the devil. And he began to become discouraged and even became fearful. And he entered into that that, that time of depression. I had a little pity party. You don't have to raise your hand. Have you ever had a pity party for yourself? You know, oh, always me. You know, it's just no, no I'm just, it's, just, it's just terrible. And, and God found Elijah there in the cave, hiding from the Lord. And he says, you know, verse number 13 of 1 Kings chapter 19, God says, what are you doing here, Elijah? This isn't what I've called you to. Why, why are you here? And Elijah, you know, began to feel a little sorry for himself. In verse 14, he says, I alone am left, and they all seek my life. God, I'm the only one. I'm the only one that's serving you. And you remember what the Lord told him in verse number 18? He said, you know, I hate to burst your bubble, big boy, but yet I have 7,000 in Israel all whose knees have not bowed to Baal and every mouth that has not kissed him. God says, I've got a remnant of people in the midst of a wicked and a perverse generation that are still true to me. And Zephaniah was trying to encourage them. The Lord through Zephaniah was trying to encourage the righteous. Listen to me. In the midst of all that sin, idolatry, apostasy, stubbornness, complacency. There was still a group of people, friend, that were true to the Lord. 
They were still serving him. They still loved him with all their heart, their soul, their mind, and their strength. They were still praying. They were still seeking to live on mission. They sought to honor God. They were trying to train their children the way that they should go so when they were old they would not depart from God's word. They, they were seeking to live for the Lord. And they were so overwhelmed by the sin that was around them. And, and certainly the devil tried to meet them just like he did Elijah and say, you're all alone. And God wanted to encourage them that there was a dedicated remnant, even in the midst of judgment, that was going to come upon Judah. And many of them were going to be carried off to Babylon. God wanted to encourage them that there was still a remnant, that they weren't alone. Look at chapter 2 of Zephaniah, verse 1, where the Bible says, Gather yourselves together. Yes, gather together, O undesirable nation, before the decree that is issued, or the day passes like chaff, before the fierce anger comes upon you, before the days of the Lord, anger comes upon you. Seek the Lord, all you meek of the earth, who have upheld his justice. Seek righteousness, seek humility. It may be that you will be hidden in the day of the Lord's anger. Chapter 3, verse 8. God says, therefore, to, 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 to the faithful remnant, to all those people who continued to, to live that way, God says, therefore, wait for me says the Lord. Just wait on me. Judgment's going to come, but you keep waiting on me. You keep serving me. You keep rising early, turning to my word, spending time in prayer, living out my word before a lost and dying nation. That was what Habakkuk's confession was and God's encouragement. We saw last week in Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 1. Habakkuk says, I will stand my watch. I'll set myself on the rampart. And I'll watch to see what he will say to me. And what he will answer when I'm corrected. And God said in verse number 3, For the vision is yet appointed for an appointed time, but at the end of the time it will speak, and it will not lie. Though it tarries, God says, listen, wait for me. What was Micah's confession? Micah chapter 7 and verse number 7. Micah said, In the midst of all the sin that's going on around me, therefore will I look to the Lord, I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. He says, God will hear me. In the midst of all the sin that was around them, there was a remnant of people that chose and were going to continue to live for the Lord. Chapter 3, verse 12 of the book of Zephaniah. God says, I will leave in your midst a meek and a humble... Judgment was still going to come. Babylon was still going to be a reality. The nation as a whole had crossed God's deadline. Listen, friend. A good boat pilot can still be riding on a boat where there's a captain that doesn't know what he's doing. And if the boat wrecks, everybody's going down. And so there were a lot of righteous people who were with the crowd because they were part of the nation. They couldn't help what was going to happen. But God says, I'm going to leave in your midst a meek and humble people. And they shall trust in the name of the Lord. The remnant of Israel shall do no unrighteousness and speak no lies, nor shall a deceitful tongue be found in their mouth. For they shall feed their flocks and lie down, and no one shall make them afraid. These were individuals, listen, who, who rebelled against what was popular. What was popular? Find the latest gods. Hey, Baal was in. I mean, it was the end thing. Listen, I'm telling you the stupidity of this. If Instagram and Facebook would have been there, people would have FaceTimed throwing their kids into the fire and burning them. That was what was popular. Burn your kids today to Moloch. 
And these were individuals who said, no, we're not going to go with what's popular. We're going to go with what's right. The Word of God's going to be a lamp in our feet and a light in our path. God's Word is forever settled in heaven, and we're going to stand with the Lord. There's part of the remnant. They made a choice to serve the Lord in spite of all the wickedness that was around them. Don't miss that. It's not that God just, you know, zapped their mind. It's like, this is going to be the remnant. No, these were individuals who made a willed decision in the midst of all that was going on around them to keep serving the Lord, to be faithful, to honor God. And it's, it's the same encouragement that the Apostle Paul gave a young pastor by the name of Timothy. Remember in 2 Timothy, friend, Paul wasn't at Club Med on vacation. He wasn't getting spa treatments every day. He wasn't on a, you know, a pastor book tour like some of these big wigs with million-dollar smiles just eating at five-star restaurants every day, staying at five-star hotels. No, Paul was in jail for preaching the gospel as he wrote this. The bodies of Christians were being lit on fire to light the streets for chariot races in Rome because they wouldn't renounce their faith in Christ. That was the reality of the environment. Paul could smell their burning flesh as he wrote this letter to Timothy. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, and in verse number 12, Paul says this, Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus are going to suffer persecution to this young pastor who's going to face hardship in ministry. He says, know this, Timothy, verse number 13, evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you've learned them. He says, the, the rest of cultures are drifting this way, but you've got to make a real decision. You're going to stand with God. You're going to keep living for the Lord. You must continue in the things which you have learned, what you know is right. Paul then went on to say in chapter 4, verse 1, he says, I charge you before God and before the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom, to preach the word to be instant in season, out of season, convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. That is, be faithful to what God has called you to do. Because, verse 3, the time will come when many who are in the church won't endure sound doctrine but according to their own desires. That is, friend, what they've determined their life's going to be about. Regardless of what the Word of God says, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap for themselves teachers, literally, that will tell them what they want to hear. And they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned, literally, to fables. It's the Greek word that means fiction. It means men are going to stand in the pulpit and tell people things that are absolutely... They might as well be standing up and reading Cinderella. It's fiction. They've labeled it the Word of God, but it's contrary to the Word of God. And Paul told Timothy, listen, that's what's going to be happening in the midst of your ministry. But you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of the evangelist, fulfill your ministry. That means you've got to make a choice how you're going to live and what you're going to do and stay committed. Jude said this in Jude 1, verses 16 through 21. He says, in the last days, there are going to be apostates in the church. These are grumblers, complainers. They walk according to their own lust. They mouth great swelling words, flattering people to gain advantage. But listen to what Jude says. But you, beloved 
Remember the words which were spoken before by the apostles to our Lord Jesus Christ, how they told you there would be mockers in the last time who would walk according to their own godly lusts. But you, beloved, verse 20, building yourselves up on the holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ into eternal life. So Zephaniah says to a people who were already serving the Lord, don't think that you're the only one because there's other brothers and sisters around you who are going to keep serving the Lord. And friends, what I want to encourage you with this morning is this. I know we're living in tough times, and I know there's a lot of bad things that are coming out of Washington and things that are happening around us. Who would have ever thought the day that there would be a piece of legislation out that tries to say that if someone that's born what... Biology says makes you a boy. All of a sudden, you can just start calling yourself a woman. Who would ever thought that there would be grown men and women in Washington, D.C. that would be saying, that, oh, yeah, he can just call himself a woman, and then it's gonna be, you can be fine to go to jail if you tried to tell them that they're not one. Who would ever thought that? But it's the day in which we're living. And so you can be overwhelmed by that. You need to be burdened by that. Y'all be concerned about that. Y'all be concerned about things that are going to happen after that. But friend, we've got to make a choice in the midst of all of that that we're going to keep living for the Lord, be true to His Word, live on mission, and just be part of the faithful room and realize you're not the only one. There's Christians in California, there's Christians in Maine, there's Christians in Florida, there's Christians in Texas, there's Christians in Canada, there's Christians in Brazil, there's Christians in China, there's Christians in North Korea, there's Christians in Spain, there's Christians in England. Friend, there are brothers and sisters in Christ all around this world who have not bowed their knee to Baal. They're not going to bow their knee to Baal. We're not alone. Then there'll be an encouragement. But if every one of them turns away, we've got to have the heart that if I be the lone survivor, I'm going to stand for Jesus Christ. Him and Him alone. And so we encourage them that though you're, you're going into judgment, it's going to get worse before it gets better. That's what Zeph and I was telling them. And friend, listen, I'm not trying to be extended up here this morning and be a prognosticator of doom because I don't know. But I'm just telling you, the Bible doesn't teach that it's going to get better. It teaches that it's going to be worse. There's not going to be a falling toward. The Bible says in 2 Thessalonians, there's going to be a falling away. So it's going to get worse. You've got to realize there's, there's a dedicated remnant. In Joshua chapter 24, verse 17, Joshua challenged all the people that day. His last message, he said, you've got to serve the Lord in sincerity. Verse 17, he says, you choose what seems good to you, but for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And you've got to make that choice. You've got to make that choice. Number three, he also shares about a divine restoration. There's a dreadful reckoning, a, dead, a dedicated remnant, but a divine restoration. He has some good words to share that somewhere out in the future, after the day of the Lord, when God deals with all the sin that's in this world, in the, in the valley of Jezreel, He destroys every wicked thing. The Bible teaches, listen, friend, that for 1,000 literal years, Jesus is going to sit on the throne of David in Jerusalem and rule as King of kings and Lord of lords here on this earth bodily. And praise God, we're going to be with Him. With a rod of iron, He's going to rule. There's, there's, going, to be, there's going to be a divine restoration. Look at what verse number 14 of chapter 3 says. Sing, O daughter of Zion, shout, O Israel, be glad and rejoice with all your heart, 
O daughter of Jerusalem, the Lord has taken away your judgment. He has cast out your enemy. The king of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall see disaster no more. You know, we walked and thank God for the presence of the Holy Spirit and His encouragement that we feel. But friend, one of these days, we're going to walk on this earth with Jesus Christ. He's going to be in our midst. He's going to rule and reign upon this earth. He says, in that day, verse 16, it shall be said to Jerusalem, do not fear. Zion, let not your hands be weak. The Lord your God is in your midst. The mighty one will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with love. Listen, won't be any need for special music in that day. Why? The Bible says he will rejoice over you with singing. The Bible says God himself is going to sing amidst these people. I will gather those who sorrow over the appointed assembly, verse 18, who are among you to whom it's a reproach, whose reproach it's a burden. God says all the troublemakers and the grippers and the complainers that you had to deal with in the church, can I just say praise God? He says you're not going to have to listen to them anymore. Be no more grumbling, no more complaining, no more apathy and indifference. Verse 19, Behold, at that time I will deal with all who afflict you. I will save the lame. I will gather those who were driven out. I will appoint them for praise and fame. And in every land where they were put to shame, God says, I'm going to make things right. Verse 20, And at that time I will bring you back, even though you've been scattered. Northern kingdom was scattered. Southern kingdom, you're going to Babylon. He says, I will bring you back and establish you even at the time I gather you. For I will give you fame and praise among all the peoples of the earth when I, re when I return your captives before your eyes. And someone say, well, who said that? Look at the last words. Says the Lord. Who said? God said. They can't veto it. They can't filibuster it. Friend, if God says it, it's going to happen. It's done. And that will be an encouragement to us today that one day there's going to be a divine restoration. God's going to make things right. But listen to me. That freedom, that right restoration, you don't have to wait to the thousand-year reign. You can experience that now. Remember the book of Romans chapter 5, verse 12 says, By one man sin entered the world in death by sin. At that very moment, friend, man became separated from God because of his sin. Just like the nation of Israel was separated from the land because of their sin, man was separated from God because of their sin. But the, the Bible says in verse number 19, through Christ's sacrifice alone, God has made a way, friend, that we can be restored to God. We can have a right relation, a divine restoration with God can be had. You, don't, you, you can't work for it. You can't buy it. You can't do enough good. It's not about a 12-step program. It's something by faith that you receive. It's all by grace, and it's all by mercy. And you say, well, who says that? Is that what you just believe at Greenwood? No, says the Lord. Says the Lord. Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord, the Bible says, will be saved. You'll be rightly restored to God. A divine restoration. And that's the message that Zephaniah came to bring in that day when sin was so prevalent that there was going to be a day, friend, when God was going to judge sin. There was going to be a remnant who was always going to be there, a body of people that God would work through to encourage and bring comfort. And that's what's so beautiful about the local church, assembling together, friend, the encouragement that we receive by knowing that 
There's other people that think and believe just like we do, and we can pray for one another, encourage one another. But the Bible also promises there's going to be a divine restoration one day. Now, the younger kids aren't going to know what I'm talking about, but how many of you, I'm going to take you down memory lane, how many of you remember Paul Harvey? Remember about midday? Hello, Americans. It's time for news. That was early in the morning. He would begin to roll off some little news facts. Wouldn't it be great if there was a place you could actually turn for just news again? Not the pen news. And Paul Harvey gave the news. Remember, late in the afternoon, we had a houseboat, Fontana Lake. And I remember all we could pick up was WIVK out in Knoxville, 107.7. And the sun would be setting in the west, beating down on that houseboat in the summer. And I remember late afternoon, all of a sudden, it would, you'd hear this. It's time for the rest of the story. I want to give you the rest of the story. Zeph and I preached this message. Remember, there's three truths. Stay with me. There's three truths for every text. There's the original message to the original audience. There's the time-transcending truth. And then through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, we're to pray, God, what's the application of that time-transcending truth for my life? Well, who, what was happening with the original audience that Zephaniah preached to? Turn with me, please, to 2 Kings chapter 22. And I want you to see the reign of Josiah in Judah. Josiah was king when Zephaniah preached this message. He was the grandson of one of the wickedest kings that ever existed, King Manasseh. But somehow, Josiah's heart was tender to the Lord. Chapter 22, verse 1 says, and we're going to look at several verses, just stay with me. Josiah was eight years old when he became king. The Bible says in verse number 2, this was his testimony. He did what was right in the sight of the Lord. He walked in all the ways of his father David. He did not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. The Bible goes on to say that as the priests were going to take monies that were needed to pay those that were working on the temple. They discovered a book. They didn't even know what it was. The Bible says in verse number 11, chapter 2, now it happened when the king, and they brought the book back and began to read the words of the book. Well, what was the book? It was the book of the law. They found the Pentateuch. They began to read God's word to Josiah. It's the first time that he had even heard it. And he was the king of God's people. The Bible says in verse number 11, it, it, it happened that when he heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes. He was, he was broken by what he heard because he knew that the people weren't serving the Lord. Verse 13, and he said, Go inquire of the Lord for me, for the people and for all of Judah concerning the words of this book that has been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is aroused against us because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book to do according to all that's written concerning us. And so the priests went and they began to inquire of the Lord. Verse number 16 says, Thus says the Lord. God spoke back to Josiah. Behold, I will bring calamity on this place and all upon all the inhabitants, all the words of the book which the king of Judah has read, because Judah, they have forsaken me and burned incense to other gods that they might provoke me to anger with the works of their hands. Therefore, my wrath shall be aroused against this place and shall not be quenched. But as for the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire of the Lord, in this manner you shall speak to him. Thus says the Lord God of Israel concerning the words which you have heard, because your heart, 
was tender, and because you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard what I spoke against this place and against its inhabitants, that they would become a desolation and a curse, and you tore your clothes and wept before me, I have also heard you, says the Lord. Surely, therefore, I will gather you to your fathers, and you shall be gathered into your grave in peace, and your eyes shall not see all the calamity which I bring on this place. So they brought word back to the king. Well, Zephaniah would have heard the, uh, Josiah would have heard the message from Zephaniah. He, he heard the message that came back from the Lord. And so because of that, friend, he began to do, take those steps, Second Chronicles 7, that, that are necessary to experience God's revival. The Bible says in verse number 2 that the king went up to the house of the Lord with all the men of Judah and with all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, chapter 23, verse 2, and the priests and the prophets and all the people, both small and great, and he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant which had been found in the house of the Lord. They turned back to the word of God. They humbled themselves and they turned back to God's word. What does God's word say we need to do during this time? And they began to do it. And then verses 4 through 19 of chapter 23, there was a ruthless cleansing of all things that were sinful in the nation of Judah. They got rid of all the, th all the things of Baal. He killed all the... Verse number 20, he executed all the priests of the high places who were on the altars and burned men's bones on them and then returned to Jerusalem. He cut off everything that the devil could use to have a sinful influence in his life and in the life of the nation of Israel. He began to respond to God's word. That's, that's, that's repentance. He turned away and ruthlessly did away with it. Now, don't you listen to me. The nation of Israel experienced a revival of sorts. Some were in word only. Some made just emotional decisions. But we know for sure that one man, one man, in the midst of this time, even though judgment was still going to come, one man decided to make the most of the time that he had and let his life count for the glory of God. And he moved the nation of Israel, Judah, to turn back to the Lord. And look what the Bible says about him in verse number 25. Would to God this could be the reality in my life when I die. In every other person, every disciple that Greenwood Baptist Church builds, look what chapter 23 of 2 Kings says in verse number 25. This is what God said about him. Now before him, Josiah, there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all his heart, with all his soul, with all his might, according to all of the law of Moses, nor after him did any error arise like him. And prior to God taking Judah into captivity through Babylon, God let Josiah die in battle, verses 28 through 30. He took him home. He escaped all of that. And someone might look and say, well, man, that revival, it really didn't last nationally. It did in one man's heart. It did in one man's heart. And friend, all these things are going to happen. There's going to be a dreadful day of reckoning. There's going to be a dedicated remnant. There's going to be a divine restoration. I want you to listen to me. In the midst of all those truths, you're going to be on one of two sides. When there's a dreadful day of reckoning, you're going to be with God's people or you're going to be with all the lost people in hell for all eternity. 
Because it comes to being part of a dedicated remnant. You're going to be with those in these days that just keep serving the Lord regardless of what's going on around them. Or you're just going to drift away in apathy and indifference with all the other Laodicean crowd. One of the two. And when the divine restoration takes place one day, you're either going to be with the Lord Jesus Christ to co-rule for a literal thousand years, or you're going to be in the lake of fire for all eternity. And it really comes down to your choice what you decide. And so if you're lost today, that is, there's never been a moment where you've turned and trusted Christ, get on the right side. Be saved. Choose to turn from all the sin that's in your life and by faith today, trust Christ to be Lord of your life. Believe that he died on the cross for your sins. Believe that God raised him from the dead and invite him to come live and reign in your heart and be Lord of you. It's just, it's a simple response that you make by faith. If you've never done that, do it right now. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Those that are listening by way of the internet, would you not choose to trust Christ today? Do it right now. In the quietness of your heart, just tell God, you don't want to be lost anymore. And you want him to come live in your heart. The simple prayer of faith like this, but you've got to mean it. Dear God, forgive me of my sin. I acknowledge my sin before you today. It separates me from you. I believe Jesus died for me. And I trust him today to be Lord of my life. I'm turning from sin. I'm turning to you. And I want you to be Lord in me. If you prayed that prayer in just a moment with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I'm going to ask you to step over to your left and to my right. Brother Ray Hyman's going to be there waiting to talk with you and to, to pray with you this morning if you need to talk with someone or pray with somebody. He wants to talk with you about that decision that you've made today. If you've been listening by way of the internet, would you not call us? Would you not email us? Get in touch with us so we want to come alongside you and help you with this decision you've made to trust Christ to be Lord of your life. We want to show you what God's Word demands of your life next. Friend, are you in a right relationship with me? Say, I know I'm saved. But are you walking in a right relationship with Him today? If Jesus were to come back today, would you be embarrassed by how spiritually He would find your life today? Are you as close to Him as you were the day you got saved? If the answer is no, friend, then you need revival. Turn today. Deal with the sin. And resubmit your life today to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Friend, the days are short. Make the time that you have really matter. Be a part of that remnant. You say, well, I'm committed to the Lord and I'm growing. Praise God for that. But friend, I want to remind you, the Bible says, let him that stand take heed lest he fall. Would you not open your heart and life now to the precious Holy Spirit and say, God, search me today. If there's anything anywhere, any part of my life, that the devil could use to build this one part of a stronghold on, would you tear it down and remove it? I want only Jesus to be seen in me. Father, I pray that you'll speak to your people today. Oh God, burden on our hearts again. And for those who've been saved, there's going to be a day we're going to give an account to you. And I pray, Lord, we'll live in light of that each day and make our lives count to the glory of God that our life will bless you and honor you one day not put to shame what Jesus did for us. Father, I pray that we'll choose to remember that you've placed around us brothers and sisters in Christ. That they're not going to turn back. We're not, don't, don't ever let the devil, God, I pray, bring us to a place. We won't let ourselves be brought to a place like Elijah that we think we're all alone. There's a remnant. There's people that aren't going to turn back. 
And Father, I pray that we'll be encouraged in light of all the sad things we see being said and done in our country, the culture around us, that God, there's a great day coming when you're going to set things right on this earth. And for that, Lord, we're going to wait and we're going to look toward it. But until then, God, we're going to keep serving. We're going to be faithful to live on mission. That's our prayer today. Bless this time. Whatever decisions need to be made now, Holy Spirit, challenge each individual heart. Might we be responsive to your call on our lives? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Let's reverently stand our feet. Heads are bowed. Eyes are closed. Brother Ray's over here. He'll pray with you if you need someone to pray with you. Peggy's going to sing. You step out and come right now. As for me and my